to the Let's Talk EMDR podcast brought to you by the EMDR International Association, or EMDRIA. I'm your host, Kim Howard. In this episode, we're discussing post-traumatic stress disorder and racial trauma, black men and views, and how EMDR therapy can help. Today's guest is EMDR therapist, Dr. Alan Lipscomb, who is also an associate professor at California State University, Northridge. Welcome, Dr. Lipscomb. Tell us a bit about you, your experience becoming an EMDR therapist, and your experience using EMDR with men who have PTSD. Sure. So my name is Dr. Alan Lipscomb. I am a licensed clinical social worker in the state of California. I also have my doctorate in psychology, clinical psych. So I'm a PsyD as well. Um, I maintain a small private practice that I've had for uh, 10 years now. I became uh, an EMDR therapist uh, five years ago in 2017 is when I went and and got trained in that. Um, In addition to being a clinician, I am also an associate professor at Cal State Northridge in the social work department, where I am the director of the Minority Male Mentoring Student Success Allies and also the director of our MSW online program. Excellent. So... Could you tell me what your favorite part of working with PTSD is? You know, the part that I really enjoy is watching their healing journey, being a part of that process from the beginning, from that initial uh, session, getting to know who the individual is and watching them go through that process. And it's almost like lifting, right? Lifting off these weights that has been put upon the individual by way of of trauma. And so primarily at my practice, going back to your initial question, I work with primarily men, uh, specifically men of color um, regarding trauma, depression, and anxiety. um, I've heard other therapists talk about how they're um, patients or their clients' faces, will the relief that comes uh, on their face when um, they feel like they've made progress in their therapy session and and that stress has been lifted is is extremely rewarding. So I can only imagine, you know, that's a rewarding experience. I think professionally, you know, to be able to help people who are having problems and help Mm -hmm. them get them solved. I think that's amazing and astounding. And I'm so grateful that uh, I work with uh, this organization and I can see people doing that. It's wonderful. Yeah, you know, we have the front seat to people's healing journey and process. And like you said, you can visibly see the weight being lifted off of the individual. And that's one of the things that I love about doing trauma work and working with PTSD is being able to see that and and having that first row seat, if you will, and folks entrusting in me too. I don't take that lightly as the the therapist in in working with them. So being selected to be a part of that. Absolutely. What a, what a beautiful servant leader uh, approach, I think, to, uh, to that kind of career path. You know, it takes, it's really a vocation. Absolutely. I think it's, it's like a lot of, of uh, jobs out there that really aren't jobs. They're really vocations. Um, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's, uh, it's rewarding to see people say, stand up and say, oh, I think I can do this work and I can help people in whatever the area is, fill in the blank. And, and it's uh, beautiful. That's wonderful that people are able to do that. 
Absolutely. Yeah. What success or value adds have you seen regarding EMDR therapy with PTSD in the Black male population? You know, one of the things I've seen that's been of value is I don't ever have to know specifically what happened to you by way of trauma, right? I I don't have to know that specific. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of guilt that I see specifically with Black men as they're carrying their trauma, Um, race-based trauma. I do a lot of research and clinical work with race-based trauma. And so to come into a space where that could be acknowledged, validated, and lifted, where it's not going to take away racial experiences and, and racialized experiences, no. But some of those traumas that stay with individuals, specifically Black men, it's pretty rewarding to see how they're not carrying that weight as much as they were before. You know, I often say in, in doing trauma work with Black men, they, they, they get to heal enough, right? Heal enough to keep living, but you can't 100% heal if it's still happening, right? If it still exists in our society right. and world, right? right. Yeah, and and yeah. systemically, right? We, we have to deal with a larger meso-macro problem as well. And so in the clinical realm, I can't, take that, right? I can't fix that in and of itself. Uh, But I can validate and recognize and acknowledge those experiences and also build a trusting therapeutic relationship so that you trust the work that I'm going to be doing with you and even honoring those experiences that you've had related to trauma, race-based trauma, traumatic grief, et cetera. So given your experience working with Black men and youth in the mental health area, can you touch on how PTSD impacts them? Yeah, so I was touching on this a moment ago, but to come back to that point, it's the same with with men, right, in general, around PTSD and, and folks in general who have PTSD. I think the part that's different is how it shows up, what it looks like and how we view it. I think in our society, we don't see hypervigilance the same way in Black men when we see their behavior and youth. We see it as a paranoia or we see it as uh, aggressive, right? We pathologize those behaviors. We criminalize those symptoms and we don't see it as such because it shows up differently or it's worn differently in our society. And so we have to be careful as clinicians to not jump to the conclusion that they must be this, they must be aggressive, upset, et cetera. It could be related to PTSD symptoms and trauma. Right. Sort of like that thing about angry black women. Absolutely. Just because a woman says something that's not pleasant doesn't mean that she's angry. It just means that she doesn't agree with you. That doesn't make her an angry black woman. Correct. Correct. You know, and one of the things I found in my clinical work and in my research with black male grief and trauma is the the acceptance, the force, I call it forced cultural acceptance around trauma and grief. And so there's even language that we hear from from black men and youth when you say, so tell me about what happened or what did you think about that? You'll hear things like, oh, it's whatever. It is what it is. It was what it was. I'm good. I'm cool. I'm straight. Right. So there's even language around keeping it going and don't burden anyone with it. Who's going to care anyways? This is the way life is. Right. It is what it is type of thing to around that. And so understanding even having to put on the face that you're okay, and or we don't have the capacity as a society to honor your grief experiences, your trauma experiences too. 
Well, and there's also this whole male, I don't know what the word is, maybe the persona in a public way where men are supposed to be strong and they're not supposed to need help and they're not supposed to go. And so I think that prevents a lot of men from seeking the help that they would need to help them manage their mental stress. Absolutely. Well, you know, the the pandemic coupled with the racial injustices that we were forced to pay attention to in 2020 turned that upside down, where we saw an increase in Black folk in general, but Black men reaching out for mental health for the first time and in those large numbers. It's it's sad that something like that had to make that happen, but it's something positive, I guess, came out of it because people are more people are reaching out to get help that they need. That's not a bad thing. Absolutely. And I think for our profession, we're paying attention to it more as clinicians, as EMDR therapists. It's like, wait, oh, this is a thing or this is still a thing that we need to pay attention to. So on both sides, we've seen a shift in our profession, but also in the society, in the culture, too. You may have already touched on this, but I'm going to ask the question in case there's anything else you want to add. Sure. Are there any myths that you would like to bust about EMDR therapy with PTSD with Black men and youths? Are there any myths? I, I, I think the the myth that we're going to fix it in like one session right? We're going to take it away. It's going to be done and over. And the myth that they're not going to experience any further racialized trauma in in, in the future because of this treatment. You know, a lot of the work that, that is done with Black men and youth on the front end, right? Like phase one, you know, history taking, et cetera, with EMDR, it is that building that relationship with them and, and trust. You know, I have, um, I remember one of my black male clients that I was working with some years back said to me when I was explaining, you know, EMDR, what it is. And he said, so are you trying to take me to my sunken place? Sunken place is from the movie Get Out, the film Get Out that came out several years back. And so there is this idea, myth, that Therapy means we are shifting your brain, that we are uh, trying to erase memories and do all this mad science and stuff, right? I think there's still that, that image out there, and rightfully so, because within mental health, we also have health. And there's a lot of stigma, um, the mistreatment of Black and brown folks in, in health and research and mental health. And so there is this fear out there. I think also the myth that if I'm coming for therapy, then I must be crazy. I must be stupid. I must be weird. That's the common things that I, that I hear initially when they're coming in and starting services. I don't remember if I read it in a book or I heard somebody say it, but they, somebody commented that, you know, therapy is only for crazy people. And the other character said, or the other person said, well, actually the more normal you are, the more therapy that you need and the more that it helps you. You know, Absolutely. and I thought that was that was pretty insightful. And I, I feel like it was a fiction book that I was reading, but I was like, wow, that's that's a good way to well, put it. Well, especially now in 2022, right? It, it, there's so much that we have experienced that we have lived through yeah. over just the past two years yeah. that to have a space and place where you can process and unpack just life alone, I think yeah. is, is is beneficial for those who are open and, and ready for that type. The, the pandemic is one thing that has literally impacted everybody on earth. Whether somebody yeah. got sick or didn't get sick or whether someone you knew died or didn't die, 
it's impacted every single person that's walking absolutely. around the earth. It's, it's absolutely. Yeah. Everyone has been touched by COVID, sure right? the, yep. the pandemic. Absolutely. Are there any complexities or difficulties with using EMDR therapy uh, and PTSD? There is. I would say one of the major things that I have to be mindful of is pay and pay attention to is around the stuff that can come up outside of our session after we've started right? Bilateral stimulation, right? I'm concerned that the activation things that get stirred up, how other folks in society might experience them if they are having these flashbacks or whatever. So I try to ensure that I am building in mechanisms to help them continue not only to process, which is part of our training when we got trained in EMDR, um, things that they can do, journal, write down thoughts, et cetera, emotions, body sensations, et cetera. But also I started to do an audio reflection. And an audio reflection journal is optional. And what I mean by that is they can choose to share it with me. They can choose not to. They can delete it after they record it. But I want them to have an avenue that they control. So there's autonomy here. But they can express themselves verbally and just get it out. Right? And so they express it. They get it out. And that has provided a lot of rich clinical information for those who were willing to share it back with me in our work together as well. And so there's some complexities around being mindful of how they're continuing to live their life being Black men and how folks are seeing them while they're also addressing their trauma as well. It's a great idea, though, to have them uh, verbalize it. Because some people... They're not writers. So if you ask them to write it down Absolutely. or journal, you know, they don't want to really do that. So and it yeah, taps into the brain differently, right? Mm-hmm. When we're verbally expressing ourselves as yes. well. Mm-hmm. Yes. And everyone has a device, right? Everyone has a phone. Correct. A and almost everyone so, has a, a recording option on it. That's right. Yeah. This is That's true. a quick way to do like a little memo. Yeah, Absolutely. A great way. That's a great idea. So how do you apply EMDR therapy and PTSD to a multicultural population? Well, I I think first you have to recognize that there isn't one size fits all for a diverse uh, population that you are working with. I think you have to begin with the individual and who they are and recognize what are things that are true for them, intersectionally speaking. And this is through practicing cultural humility, right? So we're moving away from this idea of cultural competence that one day, I'm going to be fully competent at all things cultural, multicultural, et cetera. That's a fallacy, right? We're waiting to get there, right? Cultural humility says you're not going to ever get there, and that's okay. Rather, position yourself to be curious, to be earnest, to be honor, to be honest, and honoring their experiences that are uniquely theirs based on race, based on gender, based on cultural beliefs, et cetera. So I think in order to provide EMDR effectively to multicultural population is to begin with them and don't overgeneralize just because you're working with this one individual who identifies as X, Y, and Z, that everyone who comes in to your office or that you're seeing through telehealth, you treat them the same. That's not true. Could you talk a little bit about uh, a favorite free EMDR-related resource that you could suggest either for the public on PTSD or for other EMDR therapists on PTSD? Absolutely. So myself and my colleague, Dr. Wendy Ashley, we wrote an article uh, titled, and folks can Google this, right? 
pub, the folks in the public and, and clinicians as well. It's titled A Critical Analysis of the Utilization of Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing Psychotherapy with African-American Clients. So that's a good resource. You can just Google it. It's a free article. You can download it. There's another one that's also available. It's for free. It's with um, Go With That magazine um, titled Addressing Racialized Trauma, Utilizing EMDR and Anti-Racist Psychotherapy Practices. Also, you can Google that. And so those are some um, articles that are readily available, good resources that I think folks can, can definitely access. Um, in the fall of this year, around September, October, um, the second edition of Mark Nickerson's book titled Cultural Competence and Healing, Culturally-Based Trauma with EMDR Therapy, myself and Dr. Ashley has written a chapter the chapter is titled Strategies for Implementation of an Anti-Racist, Anti-Oppressive, Intersectional Lens in EMDR Therapy with Black Clients. So that's another resource for EMDR therapists. Again, look out for that coming uh, this fall around September, October. What would you like people outside of the EMDR community to know about treating Black men and adolescents? I love this question so, so much Yay. because it's not specific just to EMDR folks. It's, it's for anyone um, in the clinical world. I think there's three things that I want to stress to folks who are providing services to Black men and youth. And the first one is do not infantilize them. Do not treat them as if they are developmentally um, younger than they are. Do not treat them as if they do not understand. One of the things I notice when I'm observing clinical interactions, if I'm supervising someone or doing studies and research around this, is they often treat them as if they're the parent of them especially with our Black youth. And so mindful of our transference and counter-transference reactions becomes important because what it can do is stifle their clinical growth and them sharing and, and opening up. So that's one. I think the second one is rescuing behavior. Do not rescue. Do not serve as a savior. No one needs to be rescued by us as clinicians. Be mindful of your power, your privilege, and who you are in the therapeutic space and own it but don't use it to rescue, be an ally in this space, especially for my non-Black um, clinicians and uh, my non-clinicians uh, of color. The final one is do not ignore. Do not ignore their racialized traumatic experiences. Uh, sometimes because we're uncomfortable talking about race, it's not that we're intending to minimize it, but because we're uncomfortable, we just skate right over it. We don't name it in the place, in the space. We don't acknowledge it. We don't explore it. So lean into that. Be comfortable talking about it because you cannot work with a Black male and not look at who they are racially speaking in those experiences. So I-R-I, right? Avoid infantilizing, um, avoid rescuing, and avoid ignoring. Great. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, for those that are interested, again, just clinical work in general, not specific to EMDR clinicians, um, there are two books that I have. The first one is Black Male Grief Reaction to Trauma, a clinical case study of one man's mental health treatment, and then more of a clinical like practice guide that you can use regardless of the clinical approach that you are using. It's titled The Bruh Approach to therapy and other related services with African-American men and youth. And the BRUS stands for, the B stands for bonding, the R stands for recognition, 
the U stands for understanding and the H stands for healing. Because that's what we're doing in working around PTSD, trauma, race-based trauma, et cetera. We're trying to address it and promote healing and understanding. This has been the Let's Talk EMDR podcast with our guest, Dr. Alan Lipscomb. Visit www.emdria.org for more information about EMDR therapy or to use our Find an EMDR Therapist directory with more than 12,000 therapists. Our award-winning blog, Focal Point, offers information on EMDR and his open resource. Thank you for listening.